and they are participating in the same extent as if they were physically present. Public comment will be available for each item on the agenda. For members of the public who wish to make public comment, the phone number to use is 415-655-0001. The access code is 146-027-5193. Then press pound and press pound again. When your item of interest is called, dial star three to be added to the queue to speak. Please wait until the system indicates you have been unmuted and you may begin your comments. You may address the board once per agenda item for up to two minutes. Item number one, call to order. Director Kwan, I believe you're muted, Director Kwan. Yeah. <laughs> Director Sen? Yeah. And Director Richardson? I'm here. Thank you. And we do have a quorum. Okay, wonderful. Thank you. Uh, now we start general public comment. Uh, and Kate, do we have anyone on the line? We do not have anyone on the line for public comment. Okay, then I guess next item, which is the consent agenda. Mm -hmm. Item number three, consent agenda, approving the minutes of the April 15th, 2021 meeting. Is there a motion so approval? So moved. Second. Thank you. And I'll do a roll call vote. Director Kwan? Aye. Director Sen? Aye. Director Richardson? Aye. There are three ayes. And the ayes have it. Item number four, update on new wastewater treatment plant. Good afternoon. Go ahead, Bob, were you gonna say something? Yeah, I was gonna say, uh, introduce Tom Birmingham uh, with the PUC who's been uh, leading this, this project um, and has gotten it, uh, the design ready for, for advertisement. Um, but also to acknowledge that that uh, uh, this will he's going to be leaving the PUC, um, and uh, in addition to managing this project, he's also been uh, the liaison for our uh, repair and rehabilitation program for the existing wastewater system, as well as been um, in a role of uh, resolving. Uh, issues and breaking log jams uh, across all of the PUC. So um, a big loss to the PUC and to the program. Uh, but wanted to thank Tom for, for bringing the project to this point and uh, for giving us an overview today. And Bob, if I can chime in also, <clears throat> I also want to acknowledge Tom as well. Um, it's, it's a sad day for the city, but you've done tremendous work uh, and you personally sort of guided me through things when I was on the PUC as, as well as Tida. I don't know how many times we've driven on the island and you show me all the work. Your, your eye for detail in the context of the big picture is really terrific. And you genuinely care about the residents there and in providing the right infrastructure and the right remediation and to serve them well. I know you spent countless hours um, deliberating and planning and, and being on site and, and uh, doing all that work. So I want to extend my, my gratitude and, and thanks to you for your service to the entire city, especially the residents of TI. So great job. Thank you very much. I appreciate it. And I've, believe it or not, I've had a lot of fun doing it. Uh, it makes me feel good deep down knowing that I'm helping the residents out there. I think that's really the, the most rewarding part of my job right now. So thank you both. Um, and I appreciate it. I'm going to bring up my presentation now. Bob mentioned I am the project manager for the new. Let's see, I can't chew gum and walk at the same time. So let me bring this up here. <laughs> All right. I am the project manager from the SFPUC and Tom Birmingham for the new wastewater treatment plant out on the island. Um, you'll take a look quickly at the layout of the plant there. Um, just asking you to look now because I'll reference that a little bit later as we continue. I'm gonna walk through the project where we are today, some of the coordination going on and uh, for more fun stuff, I'm gonna share you know, where things are with the conceptual architecture, 
um, you know, maybe some of the ideas for some art could be incorporated and then where we are in the project delivery and schedule. So as you are all well aware, um, a lot of the infrastructure on Treasure Island is aging and to put it nicely, it's well past its useful life. Um, the treatment plant is no exception. So, you know, the three primary objectives for us out there to, you know, ensure this new facility um, is replaced. Um, we want to make sure it meets all the regulatory compliance um, to the best that we know they'll be in five or so years. Um, we also want to make sure we meet the wastewater and recycled water needs for all the future residents as well as the existing ones. Uh, the plant is located in the northeast corner of the island. Um, if you're looking at this map here, it's in the upper left-hand corner. Um, you know, right now it is very constrained. Um, have the existing facility to the north, um, as well as some businesses. We have the bay to the east, the fire training facility to the south, and then Avenue M to the west. So. Well, it's always nice to get more space um, and do different things. Uh, we were constrained by our site and I think we've really put together a, a great project here uh, with the space we have. Um, so I, earlier when I said, take a look at the layout, this is our current layout here. And you'll notice that rectangular, rectangles are no longer cool. Um, we went to the Arts Commission Civic Design and the rectangle shape is gone. They really wanted to, have the plant line up with the diagonal shape of the rest of the roads of the island. And uh, after several discussions, I explained that that's not how treatment plants work. They really aren't triangles and diagonals. Um, so we reached um, this layout here. So what's within the fence line here is subject to change. Um, it's up to the design builder on how they want to lay things out. However, the layout of the fence and the things on the edge are very much set. So, you know, it's it's a cool shape. There's some jogs and we'll get into the fence and how that'll look and some of the other details later. But you know, you see the, the gray infrastructure is within the fence line. Uh, the switchyard is in the, the lower right there in the southwest corner, which is built and up and running. And then the wetlands are to the, the east. One of my, my favorite slides here, this really shows how the plant is going to work with the rest of the island. Um, so it's, for those of you who are aware of the, the peninsula, the, the mainland of San Francisco, the Southeast plant is, you know, 20, 30 times the size of this. This is a tiny, tiny plant. You know, we're looking at average flows of just over one MGD. Um, the peak flows will be up close to four MGD in the early stages when the development's building out and there's still um, I&I getting into the system, I&I being rainwater um, or groundwater. So once the system is more sealed up with the new pipes, we'll see the flows kind of go down a little But Even then the peak flows will only be around three MGD. And you know, what's great about our facility is that every single drop of water coming in is gonna be treated to such a high level um, you know, it's called Title 22, no contact restriction, that you could go touch it and you'll be fine. Um, so you don't have to worry about this water, you know, touching you. You know, when it goes into the wetlands, people could walk by and we're not going to encourage or make it easy for people to go into the wetlands because we just, they're there for wildlife and treatment. However, if somebody were to touch that water, there's absolutely no risk or harm to them. Um, and what's great is the fact that every single drop is treated, you know, maybe down the road in the future, right now we're looking at about one MGD of peak recycled water use and about half an MGD average. If there are additional uses found, then we'll have more water available. And I always tell everyone that while I love the idea of the wetlands and creating wildlife habitat, if we find enough recycled water use on this island that the wild, you know, the wetlands die because there's no water going on there, hey, I think that's be pretty awesome. That means every drop of water is then going back to the island for beneficial reuse. Another thing that's and Tom, really Tom, yes. MGD, um, I know engineering terminology, can you just explain to the lay people like us sure. what MGD is? Yeah. Sorry about that. Uh, it's million Thank gallons you. per day. So you're looking at, oh. you know, 
half a million gallons per day or 1 million gallons per day. And feel free to, to chime in if I, if I say anything that trips anyone up. I've been living this for four years, so it's right. second nature mm -hmm. to keep going. Good. Um, what's also great is Treasure Island is going to be, you know, the first neighborhood in San Francisco, provided everything stays on schedule, uh, that'll use non-potable water. So our facility will be producing non-potable for yeah, the island and the houses. So that's really exciting. Um, some of the uses will be you know, open space irrigation. Uh, there might be some urban farming, uh, some of the commercial plumbing, um, dual plumbing in the buildings, or whatever else happens to come along. Uh, this is the recycled water system. Um, as I mentioned, you know, this will be the first neighborhood in the city to receive city um, non-potable use water. Um, stormwater management. So every drop of water that lands on our site, because it's a wastewater treatment plant, um, the rest of the island, the stormwater will go into um, GI, then up to the bay. A green infrastructure is uh, GI. Um, so the treatment plant, we want to make sure that everything gets treated because there's always a chance in a wastewater treatment plant that the ground has been contaminated by some waste. So whenever the water lands, we capture it. It's going to go to a stormwater basin on the north side of the plant or the left of the page where it'll be held and then it'll be sent to the headworks and it'll go through the plant for treatment. So whatever lands on our site is not going to go out to the bay directly. It's going to go into the plant, be treated, and then it'll go to the wetlands with the rest of the stormwater or uh, wastewater. So one of the unique parts of our project um, when I started, you know, I talked to the team, we wanted to find something unique and creative we could do. Generally speaking, a treatment plant treats the water, it goes into an outfall and then goes out to the ocean or a bay or a river, it goes to some receiving body of water. Um, because we're producing such clean water here, it's a great opportunity to build a couple of wetlands. Um, so they're not big wetlands, but I think there are about one to maybe two acres of space, depending on how things line up, of wildlife and public space to go and enjoy. So our clean effluent will flow into these wetlands. Um, they'll receive some additional treatment when it goes in there, just by the nature of how the wetlands work. And then whatever water isn't um, used by the plants or evaporated or used for recycled water will then flow into a stormwater pipe and will be discharged to the bay through a stormwater pipe. And because this is such clean water, there really is no risk to humans or anything. So it'll go into the stormwater pipe and then go into the bay. Um, but ideally more water will be used by um, recycled water use and for the wetlands. So very little water will be going into this outfall, except for during the rainy season when knock on wood, hopefully that comes. So we've had a lot of coordination for this project. Um, Geotech is one of the biggest ones and the sea level rise. Um, our project is following all the city guidance for sea level rise, which means that we'll be able to accommodate 39 inches of sea level rise um, by 2072. Um, so this is the required 39 inches plus six inches of freeboard. So our project is going to be accommodating 45 inches uh, by 2072. In addition to the sea level rise, we are surcharging the site so that we have in settlement, so we don't have to worry about our project um, settling unevenly and viral compaction. Viral compaction allows for an earthquake to hit and for our site not to liquefy. So we're doing everything we can so that our facility will be safe going forward for all the residents to use and be should an earthquake hit, um, the plant should be operational, just like the rest of our facilities in the city within a few days. I'm not going to go through all of the touch points here because there are a lot, but I really wanted to show that there is a lot going on with the development team and TIDA and the rest of the city agencies to make sure that when this plant is up and running, um, we're able to, you know, flip the switch and have it work. We have an interim force main, which I believe uh, Director Beck mentioned yesterday, 
having the meeting to the north we're coordinating around and that'll have to tie into this facility we have the stormwater pipe going through our site for that outfall which we're coordinating with then we have all the other utility coordination around our site which is going to be built during our construction after our construction and before so you know our project is complicated enough and everything going around it is making it more complicated uh, but you know, that's why we have such a great team between us, TIDG, and, and TIDA that we're working together and it's going to be a success in it. So now on to some of the conceptual architecture. So these images were presented to Civic Design last summer um, and we did pass phase one. So when our design build documents go out, we're highly encouraging the design builder to follow our phase one guidance um, so they don't have to go back to civic design. However, if they decide they want to throw our stuff out and start over, you know, it'll be their prerogative on some of this. But I would say there's a less than 1% chance they're going to want to start over just because going through civic design is time consuming and contains a lot of unknowns. And when you're bidding on a project, you don't like unknowns. So you can see our future facility is going to be part of the, the wilds. It'll be surrounded by trees, open space. And we really wanted to blend, but not blend with that open space. And we want a part of it, you know, we want to stick out where needed, but we also don't want to be a sort thumb. You can see this is a rendering of the facility. The, the wetlands are to the left. Um, you can see the promenade going around. Um, one of the guidelines that we are providing to the design builder is for site security. Um, that fence around the site has to be at least 10 feet tall. Uh, you can't climb it. it has to be not climbable. Now we, we all like trees. However, trees and treatment plants don't always line up. So you have to have you know a 10 foot buffer around that fence to make sure we don't have trees hanging over for people to climb or to have branches fall in the facility. Uh, we want to make sure the fence is not climbable, non graffiti, and most importantly, we want to make sure it's durable in a marine environment. Um, when the wind gets blowing and the fog's in there, it's it's pretty harsh out there on metallic surfaces. Uh, these are uh, I want to show this image. It's kind of showing some of the facilities that'll be laid out. Um, the ones in yellow are the operations and maintenance buildings. So those are going to be the buildings that go right along Avenue M or Eastside Avenue. Um, we want to put the people um, facing facilities along that road. So we will have windows that can look out um, and things like that. So when people are walking down the road, they'll be able to engage with staff and things like that. And within the plant, we'll have the more heavy mechanical facilities. Instead of putting everything in big square buildings, anything that can be outside and treated to a marine grade, um, built with a marine grade material, and we want to be outside. You know, we want to really celebrate the mechanical nature of this facility and really embrace um, what it'll look like. And this shows you a couple of shots, you know, what you'll be able to see when you're walking either on the promenade or Eastside Avenue. And I want to show you, know, this fence is going to protect most of the facility, um, not protect, but hide, I guess but you will have glimpses in. And I think that'll really make for a neat experience while you're walking around the promenade or on Eastside Avenue. So I'm gonna walk you through a few shots. So this here is the bike path along Eastside Road. Um, that facility on the left um, is the maintenance shop. So you can see now you'll have a building, um, those louvers are for air to get into the building. Uh, here's another image looking to the north. Um, our fence, what we're trying to do with the fence is make it secure, but we also want to give opportunities for people to see in. So you can see the solid slabs um, could be steel or concrete slabs, and then we'll have metal slabs or slats, I guess is a better way. And those solid pieces are great opportunities that we've been talking to the Art Commission for art to go on. Um, so you can have different art exhibits as you go along. I'm gonna go back a slide. Another opportunity we've been talking to the Art Commission about is using the solid walls of both the maintenance facility and the operations building um, to exhibit art on. Um, one of the ideas was maybe 
putting some glass up there. So some of the glass windows that would let light in um, could also be part of the art. Here is a image down to the south. So now you're looking south. Uh, this is the entrance to the facility and you kind of get a feeling for some of the more industrial um, buildings and facilities. And then this is one further to the north, kind of looking down. And again, you you don't have the plant right in your face, but it's cool. You get glimpses of it through the trees. You can see here the, the odor control, um, which is important to note that you know our plan is to have no odors getting by the fence line. So that is one of the largest facilities on the site, and that is for odor control. Here is an image from the north looking south. So from the promenade looking in, you can get a feel of the wetlands and the wildlife, and then the plant is, is there in the distance. Uh, here is an image looking to the west from the promenade, and you can get a feel for the, the plant and the wetlands in the foreground. Here's another one looking down to the south. So then product delivery and schedule. So we're aiming to put the RFP out late this month is our goal. Um, it is a fixed budget limit procurement. So what that means, you may or may not be familiar with the design build. Design build is when you put an RFP out with a design of maybe 10 to say 40%. Um, we're going on the lower side of that because we want to give the design builder an opportunity to get creative um, and innovative and maybe come up with some unique things. So our documents that we're putting out will be around a 15% design and it'll allow them to, to get a little bit more creative in their thinking. And the fixed budget limit means we're using our cost estimate um, that our owner's advisors put together as the max that they can bid. So for example, if our estimate is $100 million, um, the most the DB team could bid would be $100 million. As I mentioned our schedule, um, the RFP will go out this summer, late this month. Uh, we're looking for the, oops, sorry about that. Uh, NTP will be next spring. I'm guessing the NTP for the design will probably be February and then construction will probably start next June. Um, and we're looking at probably uh, a two, two and a half year window. Um, I will say the design builder, you know, one of the incentives we want to offer up to them is to go faster um, because we want the new facility there. So once the new project manager is on board and there is a DB team on board, um, hopefully they can come back and provide an update on the schedule of what they're proposing. Uh, one thing I failed to mention earlier that I wanted to mention um, our Southeast facility and our Oceanside facility, they're doing biosolids. Um, one unique thing with our plant that we're not going to do in the beginning is biosolids treatment. Uh, we recognize there aren't many people out there right now. Um, so building a digester out there, it just wouldn't, wouldn't work. Um, there just isn't enough to keep the, the bugs in the digester. So in the beginning, we're going to thicken our sludge and then haul it either to the Southeast facility or Oceanside for treatment. However, in the future, when the island is populated and we actually have more consistent waste streams coming in, uh, we do have space reserved so we can do on-island biosolids treatment. And again, that'll be a great opportunity to even be more green and environmentally friendly because we can be creative of what we do. There's a lot of opportunities with biosolids now. I know if we wait you know, 15 years till the development is built out with enough people, who knows what will be out there. So I really push the team to wait on biosolids for now because I thought it would be a much better opportunity in the future to do something more creative then rather than just doing what's there now but not really basically would be mothballing it. So with that I will take any questions and this is a image of on the left the maintenance facility on the right is the operations building. Um, you can see that there are some great opportunities on that building for, for public art. Question? Question? Please, yeah, please. Yes, please. Uh, I can go, uh, Commissioner. Juan? Yes, please. Please do. Thank you. Thank you so much, Tom, for your wonderful and excellent uh, service to 
uh, the city and county of San Francisco, and we just signed, renewed the MOU with SFPUC, and then uh, the day after, uh, heard that you're gonna be going. So my first question right now, again, given the fact that um, with your RIP and uh, wonderful work that you've done, uh, number one, what is the uh, transition uh, gonna be like? And you mentioned all these other agencies and um, I would like to at least uh, who who they are, you know, I presume some of the one we already know, but just for the record. And I was going to ask specifically about the, you know, about solids, uh, given the fact that I live in the Bayview and very familiar with the Southeast um, wastewater plant. I know that you mentioned that the liquids uh, will be recycling. That is fantastic. Everything goes in, goes out there. Are you implying that in the initial stage that the biosolids will have to be carved out and uh, transported to the southeast or the uh, ocean, uh, you know, highway uh, sewage facility? And so, what does that transportation look like? How how is that going to be at the first phase before you decide on the permanent um, on-site treatment? So to answer your first question, um, they are probably going to have to, their PSC will go through um, the hiring process to bring somebody else on board. And the interim, uh, Jignesh Desai uh, will be acting as the, the PM for this. Uh, right now, he's the project manager for the Headworks at the Southeast plant. Um, the PE for the project is Calvin Huey. So he will, you know, he was working with me and he'll continue working on the project. So what's great is he'll have that continuity to go through um, on the development side, um, Molly Patrick is doing development work around the city, so she'll step in and do more with TI on the R&R work. Um, the Wastewater Enterprise will, will cover for that while I'm out. So there'll be several people um, filling my shoes until they can bring somebody else in to, to fully fill um, my role. For the sludge hauling, it's a great question. So right now, the sludge is hauled to the Oceanside facility. Uh, it's very easy to get there, take 280, hop on, and, and you're there. Um, there is no plan to take it to the Southeast. The earliest it would go to the Southeast would be after all the construction's done. Um, the last thing we wanna do is make traffic worse and bring more trucks to that area. So once that's all done, we'll evaluate where it makes sense to haul it to, whether it's the Southeast or Oceanside. Um, we're anticipating it's it's not many trucks. I want to say it was like four trucks a week of sludge, so less than one a day. And you know, really, like I said, the reason we're doing it is because we're not going to be producing enough sludge on the island um, to do any kind of of treatment out there. Um, there just there isn't that much. There's a lot of people. There's a lot of water going into the plant, but a lot of that is just groundwater intrusion and things like that. So, I and wastewater fully are behind building on island treatment once we have those flows on the island established. Um, I think it'll be, that'd be really cool. We just need to wait until people move in and start producing waste. Thank you, sir. You're welcome. Uh, Tom, I wanted to add one thing too, um, as you leave, and, and this is more for public record as well as my uh, fellow directors here, is uh, safe MBR technology, which, which uh, I know you and Director Beck are very familiar with. Um, for everyone else, uh, safe MBR technology is something that's been pioneered for wastewater treatment by Stanford University at their Kataga Resource Recovery Center. Um, and what it is, is it's a revolutionary sort of system uh, that actually treats uh, waste and converts it to actually usable materials and, and even energy. Um, it's far from off the shelf, uh, though it is being piloted at scale, I, I believe in Redwood City, right, Tom? Um, yep. And you know, this is something where the the PUC senior staff had gone down to Palo Alto to visit and look at their facility. Um, it may not be off the shelf enough or at scale enough to serve TI, uh, but it's possible. Um, and I think it's it bears a, a field trip, if you will, which I'm still happy to arrange. Um, and just so you know, that safe MBR wastewater treatment uh, technology is about one third the footprint of a regular wastewater planter station. And it's been uh, mostly piloted in South Korea, uh, but it's highly effective 
uh, at this small scale. So Tom, I don't know if you have any thoughts on that, but I just want to make sure that it was on the record. No, it's a great technology. I encourage people to go take a look at it. Um, I think one of the challenges we had with Treasure Island and that technology is that you're on an island and because it is, you know, there's cutting edge and there's bleeding edge. Um, and I think most of us are kind of okay beyond the edge of cutting. Once you get into bleeding edge, you get a little nervous and then put it on an island where you have no backup, you get a little bit more nervous. So I know that a lot of people at the PUC are excited about the technology and continue to talk to the people at Stanford and work with them. And I think I've mentioned to you that I think this is a great facility to set up some um, open areas for pilots like that, where you can encourage maybe people from Berkeley to come or other companies to come in and do some pilots. You know, we do have space out there, especially once the island um, is more developed. Like, let's see if we can use this as an educational opportunity to use some of the wastewater flows we'll have, we'll have stormwater flows, we'll have non-potable. So something similar to what they're doing in Stanford. I, mean, I think that is a great opportunity here. Like to yeah, I agree. I remember in talking to you and, and Director Beck is the same way. There, there's so much fragility in the infrastructure of TI. The thought of uh, doing something that even smacked of experimental was not something that would serve the, the citizen very <laughs> well. So I, I agree with you 100%. Yeah, yeah. No, but it's great technology. I encourage people to go take a look at it. It's it's fascinating how small and compact and how well it works. Okay, and, and just another way, by way of background, um, I was made aware of this technology probably six, seven years ago through one of the trustees at the academy who um, was part of the Stanford engineering effort. And then independently, um, uh, the PUC was already working on it. A gentleman by the name of Sebastian Tillmans did his postdoc at the uh, Oceanside uh, treatment plant. And that informed the development of this technology to, to oversimplify it. Um, so I want to open up any other questions or comments for, uh, for Tom. Okay, that Tom, on behalf of the TIDA board, again, thank you for your wonderful service and all the work you put in will yeah, affect yeah. generations. So thank you. Uh, thank I, you, I appreciate I your some, leadership. Uh, oh yes. I have some questions, I'm sorry. I was muted so you couldn't hear me. Um, okay, yes, please. thank you, Tom. And actually infrastructure like this is, is really fascinating. I think um, uh, most people think of wastewater and and sewage treatment is something which is nasty, or but it really is very interesting. And particularly in our day, today, you know, right now, there's so much thinking about how do you treat waste, how do you, you know, um, recycle water. That that I feel that you know the, the more that we can do on the cutting edge, the better. Um, so I'm interested, Ike, in that, um, uh, in looking at what they're doing down in Palo Alto. And I understand that we have to be careful um, about what we actually build at Treasure Island and that there's no backup. But um, your idea, Tom, of that we have space, you know, which a lot of built up cities do not have. We have space and to have those open areas for pilot and experimentation, if there is a way that we can um, uh, join in with uh, the universities and with other research uh, institutes that are looking at these issues and try these experiments, that's a wonderful way for us to be able to use Treasure Island um, on a more educational basis and more and be piloting some of these uh, types of uh, mechanisms. So I, I really encourage, you know, that thinking. I don't know how to do it institutionally, whether that is through PUC, you know, whether it's something that we separately at TIDA have to try to connect with the people who are doing the most interesting work. Um, Tom, do you have some, some advice on how we might think about this? I would encourage you to work with the PUC. Um, yeah, I think if you could do it directly with the PUC, I think if TIDA were to do it on their own, it wouldn't be as um, productive. Um, the PUC has some great people. I mean, I, Terry Ving um, has gone down to Stanford many times. Like I think she would really jump at the opportunity to do something like this on TI. So I, I think there is people that want to do it with the PUC. I think you just have to plan for it and, and figure out how we can go in there. And it's, it's not a very big footprint. Like we're just looking at a little space. Yeah. And you know, I know when you look at the site layout, you know, we have space carved out for future biosolids, but 
that existing mm -hmm. facility, you know, when that gets demolished, you know, that's also like an adjacent parcel. So a small piece of that could be used for educational and piloting. So I think mm -hmm. there is space, but I, I, I would really reach out to the new project manager when they come on board. I think that's the best way to go forward. Mm -hmm. Okay, so let's not forget, you know, that thought and try to make a linkage with the PUC on the right people where we can think about how we might use our space uh, productively and educationally. And since we're on the um, um, subject of acreage and what space is there, could you show us on the map where the biosolid facility could go in the future? Just so that we know um, what that space um, is. Yes, I can. This is as good. There we go. Uh, so you can see this. Mm -hmm. Do you see my mouse? Mm -hmm. Yes, we do. Yeah. So this space right here is reserved for future treatment. Uh-huh. Uh, so there's plenty mind, of space. Yeah. yeah, there's plenty of space here. And then then you have the existing facility here. So when that gets demolished and improved, you know, that's also available. Um, so it's, you know, immediately adjacent. So there's plenty of space here for biosolids. Um, you probably need to do biosolids and a, a um, educational uh, opportunity. But I know, speaking uh -huh. of educational, you know, with this facility, we're, we're building it in a way that it's not, you know, it's available for tours on the inside. You know, the Southeast mm -hmm. we're really right. building so people can take tours on the inside. This mm -hmm. facility we're really building so that it's educating people on the outside. Like I really want to mm -hmm. teach people like what happens to your effluent, like what happens to your, your water. You know, it could be used for recycling, for wetlands and whatnot. Inside won't be as, it'll be pretty boring, I guess, for a tour. Mm -hmm. But the external mm -hmm. part is really going to be a great opportunity for education. Yes, um, understood. Um, and then um, would you um, give more um, comments on the sea level rise? Because this is um, such a important issue for us as an island and it keeps being brought up as an issue. Um, are we building these facilities so that they are going to be protected from sea level rise? Um, we know, we don't know what in the end sea level rise, what that level is going to be. Um, the, the estimates that were given 10 years ago when the master plan was drawn up um, is lower than what people now think the sea level rises. And there's differences between the experts as to what that will be um, given that we're in the Bay. Um, but would you just amplify some of the thinking around sea level rise? Because you are talking about these improvements being 39 inches above so be 45 the ground level. Inches. So 45 inches, yes. So if you were to go out two years ago before the work started, um, the entire site has been raised 45 inches or will be raised 45 inches. Um, a great example where you can really see it is where the switchyard is. Uh, if you were to go out to the road, which I believe is 10th right now, you can mm -hmm. see that the site is way above the road, whereas before mm -hmm. that they were level. So that gives you a feeling of how much taller the site is now um, than it was mm -hmm. before. So, mm -hmm. I mean, you're right. You don't know what the future will bring. All we have is the, the best science available. And our 45 inches was based on the guidance from the city. And we updated that in 2020, I believe. So you know, the 45 inches is based on the city's guidance from 2020. Mm -hmm. And um, yeah. And you have to keep in mind too, well, I just want to add that our sea level rise, the plant, food plants don't last forever. So we also want to make sure that we keep in mind that, you know, our life of the facility is 50, maybe 60 years. So whereas a lot of the housing could be there for a hundred years, our plant will need to be rebuilt if you go out too far. So our guidance is based on the 50 year window. So if you go out 50 years from now, you know, that's where we built it for the 45 inches. I see. And, um, and your comments was that it's 45 inches by 2072. But, but um, isn't it right now, before you build this, it, it will be, it is 45 inches now, right? It's now, it's 45 inches now, which is our anticipated sea level elevation in 2072. 
So we're building it mm -hmm. for what we think the water elevation I will see. be in 2072. Mm -hmm. Okay, and how far are we from the shoreline? Are we over 100 feet? Uh, so this is the BCDC line, and that is 100 feet from yes. the shoreline. So for 100 feet, and then the gray infrastructure is probably about 200 feet, and the wetlands are about 100 feet. Uh-huh, okay, good. Um, and then finally, the art um, book um, has there been any artists that have been, been engaged or is it just conceptually that there could be artwork on the um, some parts of the fence? How, how far are we into the thinking about the art? It's more conceptual. So even we have a project manager from the Arts Commission working with us. We're putting language into the RFP um, that'll allow for art opportunities. However, we want to wait till a design builder comes on board and we can work with them and then the artist. So we've been at several meetings, we've started drafting the language, but we didn't want to go forward with issuing the artist RFP until we had the design builder on board so they can work together. Yeah, um, we do have an arts master plan for Treasure Island. And is the person from the Arts Commission that's working on this um, same person who is working with us on the arts master plan, because I would like I, to have it integrated. Yeah, I, I can send a note over to the, the PM is Zoe. Um, I know she's working with several senior people, several people uh, from the yeah. arts commission. I will right. ask her to make sure things are coordinated. Yes, um, so I, I just want to make sure um, since this is, you know, Treasure Island and we have, you know, an overall thinking about the arts um, that it is integrated, that it's not separate, you know, the Arts Commission is doing their separate thing at this facility on Treasure Island that we don't know anything about. So we, we want to make sure that um, it's it's coordinated with us. Yeah. Okay. So, but, but again, there is ways to incorporate the arts into infrastructure and it actually makes it more exciting um, for not only visual enjoyment, but it could also be educational as well. So um, I'm hoping that we can have the, the, um, uh, the ability to do that. Um, and then finally, this is um, directed at Bob, um, Bob Beck. And um, it, it seems like in doing this infrastructure, there have been they, that PICD and TIDA have had to go through a lot of different committees and commissions. And I just think in the future, maybe, you know, we ought to think about how we might streamline, that, streamline it. I didn't realize that this was also being reviewed by the Civic Design Committee, then again by the Arts Commission um, as well as TIDA and then the various committees at TIDA. So um, it, it, it does seem like the process is um, very, uh, could be cumbersome, but um, maybe we ought to think of ways in which we can streamline that process for TICD and, um, and the developer. Yeah, uh, yeah we, we can talk about it. Uh, I mean, Many elements of our design are also going through, of, of TICD's design, are also going through civic design. Um, for instance, the the ferry shelter and the uh, restrooms that were by the ferry plaza went through civic design. Um, so those do um, follow their own uh, course still. And then also wanted to add, as it relates to um, the um, uh, the arts commission, uh, the project and and the review of those projects, the city projects um, that that uh, are happening on the island won't go through the the arts steering committee that we have, but we'll definitely uh, keep you informed of those projects and. Two examples are, are the art that is incorporated into this site here, and then also uh, the Transportation Authority is working on the West Side Bridges, um, and that's going through civic design, and uh, civic design has is is, is required them to incorporate an arts component uh, into that project that they're using to 
um, hopefully make it make the uh, form of the West Side bridges uh, integrate more with the landscape and be less visible from um, the the Embarcadero shoreline of of the mm -hmm. uh, of the city. But we can we can bring you updates on those efforts as well. Mm -hmm. I'd appreciate. I is it civic design of art of the Arts Commission, or is it civic design of the Planning Commission? Uh, no, the Arts Commission. I see. Um, okay. Well, I, I'm just thinking. Um, there's a lot of overlapping agencies and commissions, and if there's a way to help, um, you know, the processing go quicker, um, that I'm sure um, TICD would appreciate it as well. Yeah. So, okay. Can I jump um, in, can I jump in uh, director, to have a comment uh, based on Commissioner Shannon's comments, please? Can I go ahead? Uh, director Drew Richardson, please. Yes, go ahead. Yes, sir. So what we've now done, and again, to stress, accentuate what you know, Commissioner Shen says, is that we are at the implementation stage and these RAPs that are coming and TIDA has not even had any opportunity. What I would like to suggest here is that um, in order to have conformity, in order to streamline and to make sure that the master plan that we have for arts um, is adhered to, is to make sure that any of this RVP, there should be a line of reference to reference the master plan here and the committee so we know exactly what is going on. It's going to get to a point that something is going to be overlaid because you have SFCTA doing something arts related, you have SFPUC doing arts related. The given in San Francisco is that any opportunity we have with any of all this project that we're trying to introduce art, we fought for that, we are very cognizant of that. In order for us to achieve the overall goal and objectives for Treasure Island, this cannot be done in silos. And so we need to look, first of all, we need to be apprised of when these RAPs are being developed. We need to look at specific language and then we need to insert a uniform in all of them so that we are not blindsided. And so this discussion is really great. I think that uh, for TIDAP, you know, Mr. Beth, we need to, um, after this meeting, think about sorting generic standard language because everything needs to be brought back to the steering committee and it just for standardization which is going to be very important. We have more open space uh, than anywhere, and we have more art programs than anywhere, projects in the city. If we are not guiding what goes on there, we are going to lose sight, and then it becomes, uh, it, it's, it's, uh, that's not what the objectives and the goals are, so. We can have a conversation with the Arts Steering Committee, I mean, with the, with the Arts Commission, uh, with their new director, but the Arts, steering committee um, is specific to the arts fees that are generated by the development of Treasure Island. Um, other city projects uh, go through, um, you know, the arts commission has their own jurisdiction on those projects. They don't fall underneath the, the MOU that we have related to the arts fees that are specific to Treasure Island. So we, we want to maintain communication but in on those projects the arts commission has jurisdiction again yeah i understand i understand what different roles are we are talking about at the end of the day treasure island uh, tighter is still responsible for the overall development of treasure island the yellow going islands and we have all these participating agencies that we need to coordinate with and we do have a roadmap master plan that guide the development. This is what I'm alluding to here. So it, it's our primary responsibility and I'll be served there. We have to know what they are doing so that we can conform with the overall development of the master plan that were laid out at Treasure Island. I think that's what I'm talking about. So we have to guide them. We have to be involved with them. We have to know when they are going to, and we have to review what they are doing. That's basically, uh, what I'm talking about. So Good. we to revisit this and um, 
it's a great topic. I think it's time that we need to yeah. talk about things are moving forward to be part of that process. But um, I just wanted to thank Tom um, for your presentation. It's very exciting to see um, the design for the new wastewater treatment plant that there's going to be one on Treasure Island and, um, and it, we, we look forward to it's actually um, being built. So thank you very much for your presentation, Tom, on that. Thank you very much for having me and I appreciate all of your leadership. Good luck, Tom. Thank you. Thank you. That's great. If there are no more questions, we can, I believe, uh, Kate, do we need to do public comment on this? Yes, and we do have one caller in the queue. I will open the line. Thank you. Hello, can you hear me? Yes. You can, please go ahead. Okay, thank you. Hi, everybody. This is Peter Brasso with the Department of Environment listening in. Thanks for this great presentation tied to Sustainability Committee and Tom Birmingham, didn't realize you were leaving, so glad I caught this presentation and um, congratulations on whatever your next step is. I didn't hear that and I, I think I missed the very beginning. Um, so yeah, this is really cool to see all your images and, um, and the inspirational, uh, obviously, imagery of the way the plants are going to look, which obviously you all know is my, um, my area. So I wanted to just flag um, specifically, uh, one point on your timeline, since you put that up on the screen, which is the next point this summer, uh, putting out your RFP and just wanted to suggest or ask a question about how you're going to frame that in relation to the landscaping. Um, and by the way, everybody, uh, Tom was gracious enough to meet with me and Peter Somerville, um, I don't know, a year or so ago. Uh, during COVID uh, online um, about the plants and everything and the plants and our vision and his vision for the site. So uh, when I look at those trees, I, I crave, you know, having local native oaks and buckeyes and everything else that we have on Yuba Buena Island that we want to bring down to Treasure Island. So, um, so yeah, I think if in your RFP, you can actually frame that very explicitly, that would, that would help, uh, help those goals. Um, so uh, thanks a lot. Take it easy. Thank you, Peter. Uh, Tom, did you want to comment on that question about the native landscaping and what I, their landscaping plans are? So we've been working with Peter. We've been working with our wastewater enterprise. Our goal is to, and CMG is our landscape architect. So our intent is to have everything be native. The only thing I want to add is for the RFP, where it occurred to me that the north and south and east side of the plants are going to be under construction or will be demolished at some point. So we're not going to have too much landscaping outside of the wetlands as be as part of the RFP. So it's part of the project. So it'll just be done after the project is done. Because the last thing I want to do is plant something and have it get torn up when they're rebuilding the road. So um, you're going to see a plant get done. It's going to look great. The wetlands will look great. But the surrounding vegetation is going to come a little later after a lot of the surrounding um, construction is done, but everything will be fully native. Yeah. yeah. And and the wetlands, when you plant the wetlands, it will be specifically the the types of plantings that are aquatic and and live in that type of marshy condition, right? Yeah. We've worked with some great landscape architects. CMG's got experience. Uh, Coral Engineers has experience. We've gone to Petaluma and other wetlands and learned some great lessons. So yes, they're going to be it should be a great um, place to go go see when it's done. Great, thank you. You're welcome. Okay, are there any other public comments on this? There is no other public comment. Okay, and I believe we're moving on to item number five. Item number five, overview of Treasure Island recycled water system. And Tom Morse from uh, BKF uh, will give this presentation. Actually, I, I think that uh, Kevin has the presentation and I'll be here for our technical backup. Okay, thanks. That's right, and uh, Kate, um, do you have the presentation or should I try to share? Oh, okay, the share button was inactive. I think it's looks like it's working now. So 
I trust people are seeing that. Uh, good afternoon, board members. I'm Kevin Griffith from Treasure Island Development Group. And uh, I'm gonna speak a little bit um, on basically what happens to some of that uh, treated water that, uh, that Tom Birmingham just walked through in his great presentation there. Um, and Tom Morse from BKF, who's been involved in the project since way back in the master planning days, uh, is here for technical support as well. And I'm sure we'll, we'll need to rely on Tom for a little bit of this content. Um, but uh, yeah, wanted to start with, I guess, really the importance of the topic. I think we're all, you know, painfully aware this year of, uh, of the potential and increasing potential for long-term droughts in California. Uh, and the, the need to conserve water as much as we can uh, in order to, uh, to mitigate that, uh, that growing problem. Um, <clears throat> and I think Tom Birmingham mentioned this, but the requirements for dual plumbing to accommodate recycled water uh, have been around in San Francisco. The first ordinance dates back to 1996, and we're actually on track to be the first uh, development in the city to, to take advantage of this resource and, and, and reduce the reliance on potable water in the project. So pretty excited to be, uh, you know, an innovative project that's, uh, that's kind of moving this, uh, this field forward. Um, so uh, once again, um, you know, like, like all of the elements of our planning, there is a, there is a documentation here. We have in our master utility plan set, there's an entire master plan for the recycled water system. Um, we are right now in the image below, you can see uh, some of these lines going in the ground. We're putting in the purple pipe that will carry recycled water to uh, the, the new neighborhoods and the new areas of development on the island that is going in now um, in our first phase. And the, the image below is from, uh, from construction from several months ago when the pipes were being installed on one of our streets. Um, and uh, the system is gonna serve all of Treasure Island, actually does not extend to Yerba Buena Island for some kind of technical difficulties. Um, but as we'll see in a minute, the, uh, the, the actual demand and usage of recycled water is very limited on Yerba Buena Island compared to Treasure Island. Here's a little bit just on the impact of what we're doing. So um, you know, this is a big table with a bunch of numbers on it, but the bottom line is that there's over 400, at full build out, there's over 400,000 million gallons per day of potential use of recycled water. And that's about 25% of the total usage. So the recycled water system at the full build out yeah. is gonna provide essentially a quarter of the water um, for the entire island. And um, and see, I'm not sure the cursor is showing up here, but um, the lion's share of that usage is in the uh, open space and urban farm uh, areas. Residential buildings are the second biggest use, and then you can see that uh, you know other commercial buildings and other uses have uh, <clears throat> less and less use for the recycled water. Um, but again, overall, a very significant amount of the water usage on Treasure Island will be handled by the recycled water that comes from the new wastewater facility. Um, here's a diagram, uh, and I think this also showed in, in Tom Birmingham's presentation, but uh, this is showing that our, our distribution is comprehensive. It's essentially, you know, going on every street uh, and it has the ability to serve every building. All of the buildings that are being planned and designed right now in the first development area here on the western shore uh, are being dual plumbed to accommodate recycled water for toilet flushing in their use. Um, and as I mentioned before, you know, m m the lion's share of that usage will be here in the sports fields um, and, uh, and uh, urban farm areas when those come online. And I think the last point uh, that I would like to make is that, you know, the, the wastewater plant is here on the northeast side of the island. The actual connections here that, uh, that bring the, the water to the rest of the island are currently planned in our last major phase when this area comes under development right now. You know, obviously there's existing uses in this in this area. So these roads and areas that would accommodate the connections to uh, the exist or to, to the developing neighborhoods uh, are not going to be built until the last major phase of development. That's the current plan. Um, I know there's maybe some interest in finding a way to connect earlier. Um, to, uh, to allow the use of recycled uh, water in the earliest phases of development. Again, that's you know, a lesser percentage of the overall use. Um, 
but that is something that maybe um, we in TIDA and others PUC can work together on finding a, finding a funding source to accelerate uh, a connection there um, to bring the usage earlier on in the plan uh, than is currently planned for. Um, and I think that's that's kind of all the content that I wanted to present, but obviously uh, Tom and I are available to answer questions and just wanted to echo some of the earlier comments about, you know, like we're, we're very excited to have this uh, innovative element of the plan, you know, be part of our project. Um, and I appreciated the comments about us not sort of being on the bleeding edge, but being, uh, being a leader in innovation and just kind of inviting uh, this facility and, and the use of recycled water to kind of act as a living laboratory. We're, we're very excited about that element of the project. And um, I think with that, I'll conclude and um, obviously all of us are available to answer any questions that the board members may have. Great, Kevin, thank you, Thomas. Also, thank you to you. Uh, directors, any uh, comments or questions? Yes, I have a question, uh, Director Kwan. And this has to do actually, uh, it's been a while. So we look at the, the building uh, infrastructure. I know that in 2018, all multifamily residential of uh, the state of California has a mandate that every uh, dwelling must have their individual uh, meters. And um, I wanna add this question up front here, maybe Director Bob Beck uh, can answer that. Um, as part of the overall <laughs> water consumption uh, usage in order to be able to do exactly what we are talking about here, it's in the front end. Uh, do we, are we ensuring that in all the buildings in the pipeline and currently or whatever, that every unit has a capability for individual um, water consumption metering so that the tenants will be responsible for their water consumption and Thereby, so Bob. Yes, that that's my understanding for um, all of the the house, the new housing that's going to be developed on Treasure Island and Yerba Buena Island. That yes, the the uh, um, they will they will each unit will need to be individually metered. Thank you. And with um, Kevin, a specific question about the twenty five percentage. And yes. I know it's substantial. Um, are there any other means to actually go to 30 or that, that is a conservative, um, you know, element? It's only a quarter of the water uh, they're used. We know a lot of the wastewaters are, you know, it, again, it's just hypothetical uh, question. Is the 25 the max we can get at this point or there are actually opportunities for increase or whatever, you know, based on the technology? science of, um, you know, water recycling? I, I think that is going to be close to the limit to what we can get. It will vary a little bit depending on some of the demands and whether we have central IT and cooling in some of the buildings or not. Um, but for the most part, when you look at a residential unit, you're really limited to toilet flushing and some other minor uses um, for non-potable water because everything else is human touch, right? It's, it's going to be showers, it's, it's food prep where we can't use the recycled water. Um, and then for added irrigation demands, for the most part, the island is really going to be designed to be drought tolerant. So we don't really want to change that and require additional recycled water. Um, the recycled water for irrigation, you know, the, the bulk of it, as Kevin pointed out, will really be for the sports fields, which we'll want to keep green. Thank you. Yeah. And I mean, one way to increase that percentage would be by, re, you know, rather than providing uh, recycled water for additional uses, which we probably can't do, would be to reduce the use of potable water for other things like showers and cooking and heating and things like that. Okay. <laughs> And, and I want to point out that, I mean, that, that this is all new construction. It's going to be Cal Green construction. And it, I mean, those numbers, the, the demand numbers per unit are, are relatively small compared to other um, older developments in on the peninsula. So um, can I um, then clarify the um, residential usage for the water is just for the toilet? Basically, the recycled water, it would be just for the toilet. It's not for um, drinking or showers or anything. Yeah. 
Um, the, and I'm sorry, Commissioner uh, Chen. Um, the recently passed uh, modification to the recycled water ordinance in San Francisco requires that it also be for laundry facilities. But for toilet flushing and laundry facilities are the are the two mm -hmm. uses. Mm -hmm. um, and this water um, is actually it's a form of great water. Um, and you know, I, I'm all for it. In fact, my daughter's uh, place and has a new place has the recycled water. Uh, that is uh, for for the toilet facilities. But um, is it does it have a gray look to it? Is it uh, is it you know is it the same as the water that comes out of the tap, or is it um, a, a different um, type of water? So really, a question. Seen, you know. Yeah, really, a question for Tom Birmingham. Um, but my understanding is, you know, look and feel and smell should be just like the domestic water, the potable water. All right. Um, then I have a question um, about, I've heard that um, in some cases, and because we're an island and we are in a marine environment, that sometimes the groundwater becomes more saline. And so is there the chance of that salinity getting into the pipes for the recycled no. water? Yeah. Um, you know, the, the, the pipes are installed, it's all new construction, it's gasketed joints, it's pressure tested, so there really is no way for, I mean, the, the system, the water system itself is at such high pressure that the water, if, if there were a leak, which there won't be, the water would only be able to go in one direction and that would be out of the pipe. Thank you, thank you. Um, no, but I think it's just, uh, wonderful that we're doing the recycled water and that the irrigation, especially for the parks and the open spaces, are going to rely on this uh, recycled water. So great, great, great news to hear. Okay, any other questions or comments uh, from the board? Don Kate, do we have any public comment on this item? There is no public comment. Okay. All right, um, and thank you both very much for your presentation. Really great work. We'll be keeping an eye on it. Thank you so much. Uh, next item, please. Item number six, discussion of future agenda items by directors. All right, directors, uh, anything on the board? No, not now. The next item is to adjourn. Okay, with that, uh, I will conclude this meeting. Thank you very much for taking time out of your day. Thank you to staff and Director Beck, uh, and especially thank you, Kate, for getting us all together. Have a good one. Great. All right. Thank, thank, thank you. Bye-bye, all. Bye. -bye,